but the common understanding is that when somebody dies in your life, that's absolutely bad for you. So I need to feel sorry for you. But I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me because sympathy doesn't help me at all. Empathy, yeah, completely different story. Compassion, absolutely, bring it on. We all need it. But sympathy, I, I don't want that. I don't want sympathy for my situation. It's not helping me. Commonly overused phrases, my condolences, or I'm so sorry for your losses. You hear it uh, hundreds of times. It becomes nothing but empty words. It's uh, my condolences is not helping for anyone, not helping anyone heal. And I understand that it comes from the intention of wanting to be polite and wanting to say something. Yet, why can't we find something that is actually helping that person, you know? Which, uh, for some people, they can be, I'm sorry for your loss. Not, not for me, to be honest. I prefer phrases like, my heart goes out to you. Or, you know, um, can I give you a hug? Or wh whatever feels right in the moment. You know, something that really um, connects you with that person, but also allows them space to feel what they want to feel. This little difference that makes all the difference is the need to share is definitely important, but the need to actually be heard mm. when you share is, is a lot big. It's not about the comparing, but it's about the owning it. Mm. You have chosen to do this, even if it's on a subconscious level, but you have chosen to get out of the bed and to be there for your kids. And I want you to own that. You're doing a great job. This is amazing. Kudos to you that you haven't chosen the other path. That all of that can coexist, you know. I can be sad and I can be happy at all at the same time. I can experience love and fear all at the same time. Yet I choose to what I pay more attention to. And in my case, that's always love and happiness and joy. And it doesn't always work. I can promise you that, but mostly it does. And it's like a muscle. Like the more you use it, the more you train it, the better you get choosing if that makes sense of what mm. I pay attention to what's going on and it's not about neglecting or negating the feeling of loss grief is a process and stress is rather a state if that makes sense I define stress in a way where I feel that I'm out of alignment when my body doesn't feel like it's in flow because you know you can have um, a lot going on in your life but you can be fully present and really loving it and I am so passionate about my work. I don't ever find it stressful, interestingly enough. So stress for me is when you're out of alignment, when you don't feel that you're happy with what you do, that to me is stressful. Whatever is going on in your life, you actually take the stress out of it. You, you become the observer or you act upon it. You do something with it, depending on what side you choose and not quite like what would happen if something was to happen to either of us, you know, let's address that because it's a really, really important conversation to have. And yet I can promise you it's a lot sadder and a lot more confronting if it does happen and you didn't have the conversation. So I really want to encourage people to have that conversation. I was lucky enough that Rob and I had that conversation. If something was to happen to me. I would want you to take the boys and create the happiest life possible. It takes a decision and a billion choices along the way. It's love is that simple. Love just wants you to be happy. And that's that's what we lived. And sharing that there is a different way while I was still in the absolute depths of it. And I felt that was a really powerful way of um, sharing it. Like sharing it straight from my heart while you're actually experiencing it. And, uh, and when we start using comparison in a way that we stop listening, then it's not helping.
people need to be heard. Please, I do need you to be there for me tomorrow. I really want you to come. And I could not say it until she asked me. And so often we make the most common mistake to say to people, let me know if you need anything, anything. Yet when you are on the other side, you find it almost impossible to be able to reach out. So people need to make it super simple. Do you need me to be there for you tomorrow? Yes, I do. <laughs> I could not say it, but when she asked me directly, I was like, oh my God, I'm so grateful that you asked me that. To, to try to separate the who you have lost from what you have lost, what it is that you have lost and don't tie it to that person. It is not about replacing them, but it is about what out of that whole list can I actually recreate in a different way? Where can I take in responsibilities? Awesome. So thank you so much. Uh, it was my pleasure. I found so many insights and so many valuable things for people wanting to love mm -hmm. their stress specifically when it's related to grief. And that is my big mission in life. I want to heal the world from grief. I want to show people that there is a different way how we can approach that. Hi, welcome everyone. This is Love Your Stress podcast. My name is Thompson. Today, the guest is Marie. She is legacy coach and she's helping people to deal with grief and actually make sure that you actually leave legacy behind in a loving, fun way. And in the first, I will just uh, let Marie to introduce herself. So would you like to tell something, what you do, what kind of person you are and what makes your life so fun and passionate? first of all thanks so much for having me Tom. So i'm really really happy to be here for me um i always love sharing about life and love and how to love your life really this is this is my absolute passion to help people through adversity and find their hidden gifts in adversity and i have come to that point through my own adversities and i'm definitely going to share a little bit more about that throughout the podcast but uh my main reason to be here is just to share happiness and love. And um, yeah, so that's me in a nutshell. I really love how you said uh, that your mission is also to uh, related to people loving their life. And that's mm. uh, in a really good way um, correlates to my mission here. Love your stress. Mm -hmm. uh, it's okay. I think it's yes. a good match. And yeah. Before we start, uh, anything, I always one of the first questions I like to ask is, how do you define stress in your own words? So what is stress? To you? So we're mm -hmm. kind of on the same page here. Yeah, 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 sure. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great question and a very valid question for your podcast, obviously. I define stress in a way where I feel that I'm out of alignment when my body doesn't feel like it's in flow because, you know, you can have... Um, a lot going on in your life but you can be fully present and really loving it and people often ask me in in the work that I do is it stressful and because I, I you know deal with the field of grief a lot I am so passionate about my work I don't ever find it stressful interestingly enough so stress for me is when you are out of alignment when you don't feel that you're happy with what you do that to me is stressful mm. everything else is busy or productive but not stressful if that makes sense yeah that makes sense and because um, i'm coming from engineering background and there mm. uh, stress is uh, everything like at, le at least uh, at when you apply any kind of pressure that's stress mm. so yeah in your definition it seems like uh, 
everything up to the point where it starts getting you out of alignment, out of flow, starts disturbing mm. you, that's positive yeah. stress and you don't actually call it stress. And once yeah. it gets over there, it's, oh, this is stress. And mm. this kind of goes uh, along the same lines um, I'm defining stress. And I'm looking mm -hmm. at stress as a scale. Zero mm -hmm. is uh, boredom, um, like it's really yeah. bad stress. And it builds up mm -hmm. and then it's uh, as it builds up it's uh, to your comfort zone it's uh, not, not really mm -hmm. doing much it's just uh, kind of uh, dragging you down or not to let, letting mm -hmm. you express your fashion and then there's a sweet spot mm -hmm. when you're really highly productive uh, and mm -hmm. thriving you're good, moving forward with passion yeah. you're helping people and then over yeah. there is the start, start where you it's too much stress and you feel like okay I'm yeah kind of, uh, have too much on my plate i love that you say that the sweet spot yeah i, I can fully agree with that there's really a sweet spot to that and yeah, yeah if you know how to do it and how to love your stress then it's perfect then it can become your passion so yeah mm. so one of the other questions i love to ask is and you just brought it up love your stress what does it mean to you love your stress so the first thing that comes up for me is that you take the good bits out of it you know mm -hmm. where as you said you know when you really see it as a there is that sweet spot where it actually motivates you and pushes you to do something if you can embrace it as such and really use it as a motivator as a um nudging you pushing you in the right direction um then then that would be the loving your stress part that's what it means to me anyway and i think uh it's all about embracing where you are. You know, if you can embrace whatever is going on in your life, you actually take the stress out of it. You, you become the observer or you act upon it. You do something with it, depending on what side you choose. And I quite like that. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting because from what I heard from you before, sounds like you're dealing with a lot more stress successfully than most of your clients, because you said they mm -hmm. kind of mentioned do you have lots of stress in your work? Uh, exp uh, like expectation from them would be that you do have and you're dealing mm. with, with it well. And I was curious, how come you come this far? Like what was uh, the deciding factors in your life that helped mm. you to actually learn this skill of managing stress and grief in your oh. case, actually? Yeah. Um, first of all, I think that stress and grief are very different things and can feel very similar if that mm -hmm. makes sense so mm -hmm. uh again like just just exactly like with stress it's the same thing with grief it very much depends on how you deal with it you know and um i love that you say your podcast is named love your stress and my podcast is called, is named loving life after loss so it's mm -hmm. both about the loving it and the embracing it and that is a huge part of it so what made me get to the point is basically exactly that you know I embraced what was what was handed to me and um, to get right into the story it happened basically when my husband died very unexpectedly a bit over four years ago now and Rob and I had a really beautiful relationship you know we were very in tune very aligned and we had we have I should say two boys together they were 10 and 8 at the time they're now 14 and 12 and um, we had quite a few conversations around life and love and connection and expectations and some of those conversations went down the path what would happen if something was to happen to either of us you know let's address that because it's a really really important conversation to have and 
for those listeners if you haven't had that conversation yet with your partner go and have it because so many people avoid it because they think oh that could be sad or that's too confronting yet I can promise you it's a lot sadder and a lot more confronting if it does happen and you didn't have the conversation so I really want to encourage people to have that conversation I was lucky enough that Rob and I had that conversation and uh, it always went something along those lines well something was to happen to me I would want you to take the boys and create the happiest life possible and uh, we, we truly meant it yet back then we really thought it was theory we never thought that anything would happen to us you don't expect that Rob was 45 in the prime of his life there was no health issues whatsoever that like even in hindsight nothing could have predicted it yet he passed away from a brain aneurysm completely unexpected and just like that you know he was literally unplugged from our lives and there I was and I made that my decision and it's not a flick the switch solution it's not like oh yeah we thought we're gonna you know create a happy life and tomorrow we are happy it sort of becomes your lighthouse, your direction, your this is where I want to be. And um, there are so many choices that you make every single day, little choices, big choices, but it's the little choices often that adjust your path towards where you want to be, little choices. And sometimes it's just the getting out of bed, being present, holding space for them, you know, doing whatever you can to be present and loving with your kids. Because that being present, it sounds so much easier than it is when you're going through adversity because your mind is fully so busy. There's a billion thoughts and things that you need to think about, consider things you need to deal with and to really be present and in the moment and be there for them and choose happiness, choose love over sadness, over fear, over anything else. Um, it is a muscle that you can train and the more you do it the easier it gets and it was really not easy at first it was a simple decision but not easy at all so yeah it takes a decision and a billion choices along the way yeah I love how you said the thing that uh, you actually talked about it and at least you had a lighthouse uh, to get out of the grief mm. because I can imagine yeah. once you go down the negative spiral uh, it's easy to forget the uh, uh, vision, mission, and uh, yeah. what's the goal. And you yeah. kind of at some point start looking down and uh, forget uh, what's that, what what would the person I lost uh, would want for me to have. And you yeah. have all kinds of doubts. And I really can imagine that you having that uh, face looking up when you go down uh, to the light, uh, that uh, that helps mm. a lot. And I think that's oh, really, absolutely. really important yeah. step. Because uh, I love that you, you said that. What, yeah, sorry. Continue, continue. No, I, I just wanted to highlight what you just said. I really find that so beautiful. The, you know, what would my loved one would have wanted for me? What would he have said or done? And uh, that really often kept me sane and kept me positive and kept me uh, on the right path. And that's what I'm teaching others now in, in my healing journeys and retreats and programs that I run. I teach them to shift your perspective into what would your loved one want you know or if the roles re were reversed what would you want for him you know like it's i if, if the roles mm. were reversed and i'm looking at rob i would want him to do exactly that you know take the boys create a happy life i'm i'm with you i'm there to back you up and i'm there you know to be your 
cheerleader angel or whatever you want to call it. I, I want you to be happy, you know, because that's mm. what love is. Love is that simple. Love just wants you to be happy. And that's that's what we lived. And that's what I still live now. So that's a really valid point, that shift in perspective. I love that. Yeah, and also I love how you mentioned, uh, because I, I can imagine also that uh, once you're in that negative spiral, and if you haven't had that conversation, then you have those doubts coming in. If at one point you remember, I think I think he would love to me to have a good life after I lost him. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you start doubting, would he really? And then you forget and go down. And if you had mm -hmm. that really, um, conversation, it's easy for you to remember because you actually heard mm -hmm. it. You have an anchor. Yeah. And the yeah. other way, if you had, did so have a conversation, I love how you said that you can always ask what would you like to, for that person. Mm -hmm. Then you can connect with your own self. And yeah. then then you have that remi reminder. So that's, mm. I really love that uh, tip. That's a really yeah. yeah. I also want to throw in there, it's, it's really, it's funny and not funny, but I, I want to share this because some people said, oh yeah, I had this conversation with my husband. He said, don't you dare have another man in your life. And they sort of <laughs> joked about it and laughed. And I'm like, from a human perspective, I totally get it. And, and it, you know, it's, it's funny or not, depending on the situation, I found it quite funny. Um, but when you think about it, and, and again, this is very respectful to everybody's got very different beliefs, but my belief is when we pass, there's nothing but love and peace on the other side, you know, whatever you imagine the other side to be, I believe it's full of love and peace. And from the perspective of love, of course you want them to be happy. Of course you want them to have an amazing life. You know, whatever that means. If that means having another man in the life, then so be it. If that means, you know, going on, on travel, on journeys, whatever, it, it, whatever your happy is, whatever your happy means, um, I, truly, I truly want that for everyone, you know. So, that's, yeah, but we had some very funny conversations around that. So. <laughs> I can imagine. It's okay. really valid the point because... I imagine person saying that is not in their fully embracing, loving part of themselves. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> so, yeah, so true. They have to face that as well. So it's a, that's a really nice example. Yeah. Do you have any more uh, mm -hmm. similar um, objections or uh, funny stories your clients come up with similar mm -hmm. like this? Well, I, I actually want to pick one as probably not, very funny but I think it's a very very important one to mention and that is a very common one that I usually get from moms and since I'm a mom myself I can very much relate to that and uh, I often get this comment um well I had to move forward or I had to move on because of my kids I have to I have to and I don't agree with that I'm not a big fan or a supporter of I have to I always get them to replace that with I choose to and yes it's a typical coaching approach and yes some people might be overhearing that phrase yet when you put yourself in that situation and your partner died and then all of a sudden you are a sole parent by the way that was another huge epiphany for me I I thought okay I'm a single parent now and then three years down the track it took me that long I had this epiphany where like why do I keep saying single parent? I'm not, I'm a sole parent. There's only me. Usually a single parent has got another single parent somewhere mm. where they share responsibilities, share financial decisions, share whatever decisions really. And, uh, and I don't have that. I'm a sole parent. And it was really important for me to realize that because I really stepped into that and I really owned it. And uh, I'm okay with that. It's not... Um, always what where you want to be I would absolutely love to have uh, another person in my life to share that with but not for the sake of just having somebody that has to be the right person for that takes time 
so that's just a side story but when when I think of the moms I'm always like um okay so you're telling me you have to because of your kids but when you really look at the situation really outside perspective and there are so many people out there and it's really important to say that because we we had so many discussions lately in the last few weeks about mental health awareness suicide prevention and there are people out there who do go down the road of either alcohol addiction drug addiction or um, any other medication addiction or worst case scenario even suicide and unfortunately that is the reality that some people choose that path so when you look at that and then you switch back to your own life you did not do any of that you got up every morning you're present for your kids and you dress them and you get them ready and you make the lunch boxes and you pick them up and you put them to bed and you might be feeling that you are in this groundhog day or you are an autopilot and you're not really doing a great job but I always say to them trust me when you're doing it you're doing better than others that have chosen a different path and it's not about the comparing but it's about the owning it mm. you have chosen to do this even if it's on a subconscious level, but you have chosen to get out of bed and to be there for your kids. And I want you to own that. You're doing a great job. This is amazing. Kudos to you that you haven't chosen the other path. And um, yeah, that, that's just one example that happens all the time. And I always get them to through this exercise of going like, you know, I want you to own what you're doing. You have chosen to do that. You didn't have to, but you did. So own it, sister. So I'm always like, you know, yeah, it's important to mention that. Yeah, I really love this example, and it's really powerful how you go through the exercise of comparing to actually, mm. uh, and I, I love how you mentioned that it's not for sake of comparing because people can stuck in yeah. that uh, modality. Yeah. Just about uh, giving that perspective that it was a choice and it was, mm. they said, tone it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. And one more thing I was thinking about before, you said that... Um, grief and stress are similar but not the same i'm curious how do you mm. see the difference in them well for me stress is uh, really a state uh and that can be physical emotional whatever you know there's just something not in alignment mm -hmm. and grief to me is a very deep emotion that you experience when uh you have experienced deep loss you know and for me, grief is a process and stress is rather a state, if that makes sense. So I understand that a lot of people see grief as a state as well. But this mm -hmm. is where I feel, with all due respect, that society gets it wrong. Grief is not a state. Grief, yeah, grief is an emotion. But for me, I see grief as a process, something that I work through. And it comes with lots of deep emotions. But for me, grief also uh, comes with all the joys and the beautiful memories that we have. So for me, it's all about um, teaching people that all of that can coexist. You know, I can be sad and I can be happy at all at the same time. I can experience love and fear all at the same time. Yet I choose to what I pay more attention to. And in my case, that's always love and happiness and joy and it doesn't always work. I can promise you that, but mostly it does. And it's like a muscle. Like the more you use it, the more you train it, the better you get. And it is definitely something, you know, when, when I think of the early days after Rob died, I went into 
focusing or shifting my lighthouse into happiness from day dot I knew that that was my my plan and my path yet I was still on autopilot for quite some time after Rob died because I was in functioning mode um, and there was so much to look after before I got my head around it. it it was definitely for the first I'd say intensely first month but first one to four months after Rob died I was really in functioning mode and then I started functioning better and not just being in functioning mode and I got out of it and I really made more and more choices that were important to me I made the choice of sharing our story about five months after Rob died I published my first book because I wanted people to know that there's a different way of walking through that and uh, that was actually what planted a seed to the movement uh, both my first book and the movement I've got the title loving life after loss and that's how everything started really by me sharing that there is a different way while I was still in the absolute depths of it and I felt there was a really powerful way of um, sharing it, like sharing it straight from my heart while you're actually experiencing it. And uh, yeah. I'm curious. Uh, you said uh, that you were sharing it and it helped you. I was thinking how big role uh, for your clients and people in general who go through grief is uh, mm -hmm. need to share their story in order for them to find peace and love in it. Mm -hmm. So what's your thoughts on that? I think, and there's again, you know, this, um, this little difference that makes all the difference is I think the, the need to share is definitely important, but the need to actually be heard mm. when you share is, is a lot bigger. And this is, I believe, what the biggest difference is of our movement that when people come to loving life after loss, this is the biggest feedback I usually get that they finally felt they came to a space where they were actually listened to, where they were actually heard and where they actually understood in their grief rather than um, going into this comparison battle because in, in so many grief support groups, I don't feel a lot of support. I feel mm. that there's this comparison battle going on, you know, whose loss is fresher, whose husband was younger, uh, whose death was more tragic, whose kids were younger or not even born yet or who never had kids. And there's all this comparison going on that is not helping anyone. I always say comparison is not helping anyone heal. There are ways to to use comparison, as I shared before, when mm -hmm. you're like, okay, there are other people who don't do that, but it's not to make them feel worse or it's not to compare yourself who's better or not, but it's to show you that you can own what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? So there's a difference of how you use comparison. And when we start using comparison in a way that we stop listening, then it's not helping. People need to be heard. People need to be, um, this for me, when they share their story, I see that as a point where I pick them up from. I don't want to leave them there. I don't want, I, I don't want them to stay in that pain. I want to hear about it so I know where they're at, so I know where I'm picking them up from. Yet I do want them to come on the path of healing with me. I want them to come to that lighthouse. I want them to, you know, share our common journey, which is all about getting from where you're at in that pain um, to that space of loving life after loss. So, you know, I, I 
developed a healing journey that I called From Grief to Relief. I think that's exactly what I want people to come from and to. I want them to come out of that grief and feel the relief because the pain is enormous. It's really quite intense and incredible. There are really no words to express that. And because there is such a lack of words for that, society tries to put it into um, into labels because there's this lack of understanding or really finding words for something that you cannot describe if you haven't experienced it. So there's a lot of labels coming up that are so untrue for a lot of people. Mm. And yet somehow we need labels. You know, there's, again, this very weird paradox about we need labels we need words to communicate and at the same time if labels become something that you get stuck with and need to live up to then they can be very negative you know mm. widow is such a perfect label uh, such a such a perfect example i should say for a label that i certainly don't fit you know when you look at me i don't think you see the typical widow when you close your eyes and you think of a widow i don't think <laughs> me that you see and I'm very big on that I did an entire TEDx talk on redefining our image of a widow because mm. yeah anyway that's going like fully broad spectrum now after one question but yeah mm. yeah I really love how you mentioned that um, putting labels and it really kind of connects in many points to the next question I wanted to ask you mm. is um, quite often in the spiritual communities they say focus on positive feeling and it kind of cancels the negative one. However, you also mentioned mm. the two things that, uh, first of all, you mentioned something that's not very popular. You said that uh, positive mm. and negative can coexist at the same time. Mm -hmm. I want you to explain yeah. that. But before you answer the yeah. question, I want to kind of expand the context. I mean, because um, sure. you said the grief is a really strong emotion. And uh, mm. I can imagine that... Uh, as you feel it and you start imagining yourself let's say uh, happiness uh, joy and you label it and you kind of uh, try to reach it and you don't feel it and it's, it kind of mm. doesn't feel true for you and i want to kind of, kind mm. of answer it along these lines about this uh, mm. strong emotion coexisting two emotions at the same time and how the mm -hmm. labeling and reaching for something you're not experiencing makes you even feel, feel worse so what's your take on this yeah well I believe there is a really strong expectation in our world. And I also understand that it's very different cultures. You know, there are cultures that deal with grief very differently, which I truly love. You know, Mexicans, for example, Japanese people, they actually celebrate the life of the person. And I feel that we can learn so much from that because I think it's so beautiful when you think about it. Um, I had a really lovely lady in my podcast once and I interviewed her. And she talked about the death of her grandmother, who was a samurai. She was a Japanese background. And they spent, I can't remember if it was one or two weeks, where they have the body in the house and everybody comes in to spend time and to, to have that chance to say goodbye, but also celebrate her life. And I thought it was so beautiful. And another gentleman came in who talked a lot about his uh, culture, the Mexican background, you know, where also it's all about celebrating the life of, um, of the person rather than going down into that sadness into the loss and i feel that we can learn so much from that because yes when rob died i have i have to say i still remember the physical pain i felt due to the loss it was so overwhelming 
and big for me that I uh, even that big for me it feels like such a lack of you know words had to actually describe what I felt and I still remember that um, that night after Rob died and I drove to his parents house to share the news with them which was heartbreaking again you know first having to hear the news then sharing them with my boys and then sharing them with Rob's family it was just you know one step after the other I collapsed that night I was so exhausted I spent the night at Rob's parents place and his brother was kind enough to give his room to to me and the boys and I was laying in the bed and had one boy each on my side and I was holding them and when they were finally asleep I just burst into tears you know that's when I collapsed I held it together the entire day and then I I cried and I remember it felt like somebody had emptied a whole cup of acid into my stomach. That's how it felt. It was so painful and I could hardly breathe. And yet along those first few days, because the next day we had to fly out to the other side of Australia where Rob died to identify his body. And I was going through all these emotions, the deep, that sharp pain, you know, of losing him. And at the same time, the intense love I felt for these men, you know, that doesn't just stop that love that you feel. And um, also people say, oh, that will always stay with you. It does, yet it changes over time. That love changes over time. And and what I'm saying is all of that exists at the exact same time, that loss, that pain, the love, the joy, the joyful moments, like just the memories of the joyful moments we had together and looking at our boys and being so grateful that they didn't get harmed and that they are alive and that, you know, there's gratitude, there's love, there's pain, there's loss, there's all of that and everything exists at the exact same time. This really, I don't know if that makes sense to anyone who hasn't experienced it, but that to me was my experience that everything I was just completely overwhelmed with emotions and I had moments where I laughed and cried at the same time and all out of you know so much love being there and also um the hurt that he's not physically with us anymore it it just really coexisted for a very long time and still sometimes does now yet I really trained that what do I want to focus on? You know, what is the emotion that I'd rather pay attention to and start to be a bit more um, choosing, if that makes sense, of what Mm. I pay attention to, what's going on. And it's not about neglecting or negating the feeling of loss. Yet there's something that is really deep and very, very raw for me. I have not shared that in a podcast yet. And I I really want to share that here because it's so fresh. So Rob's dad passed away um, four weeks ago and we were absolutely honoured that we were there as a family. So my boys and I and Rob's brothers and sister and mom and, uh, you know, a few other relatives, we all came together and we were all in the room with him when he died, which was incredibly honoring for me that we had this moment and um, it has re-triggered a lot for me in terms of Rob's passing and um, I realized that for the first couple of years like in in particular like you know when it when when we first um, when first 
when Rob died and in the first few months, the first couple of years, I was so focused on healing, on happiness, on holding space for the boys that I felt there were some emotions that never got enough space to be seen, felt, heard, um, and healed as well, you know. And I now understand that this all happens so perfectly and in such divine timing because now when these emotions were re-triggered and came back up, I had healed to a level where I could deal with that so much easier and in a grateful and humbling kind of way rather than being completely ripped apart by it. So I now feel that the path I've chosen, once again, even in hindsight, was the perfect path because I don't think I could have dealt with it in that way back then. And now I can, you know, and I feel so much gratitude for that, for the path that I have chosen and the path that I have been put on because I feel I was guided all along and um, it makes so much sense to me now, more than ever. I really love how you mentioned the part of uh, feeling of guidance. Um, where do you get mm. that feeling from? Can I ask you? Mm. Is there a specific, uh, anything specific or just generally? I, I feel that in a very deeply spiritual way, I really feel that um, it's almost like Rob's been looking after us the entire time. Mm. He's sort of opened doors for us that we're meant to be open. And I felt that this path, where often people say that must be so heavy, you know, dealing with grief all the time. And I have felt this path was so easy, actually, like not, not so much the dealing with my own grief, but then the being put on a path in helping others with it. And I always felt it was like an upward spiral, you know, whatever I had healed, whatever I had learned, I passed on to others. And that sort of, you know, um, made the path easier and easier and and um, and open up like sort of like a vacuum you know it, it really did it created this massive beautiful vacuum that just attracted so much love and so much support from from everyone like when I look at our movement I'm I'm so proud and so humbled and, and it's not like oh this is my movement and I have created this. Yes, I've started it, but there's so many people who have co-created this, you know, who are in that movement with us. And uh, I have a beautiful team of moderators who help me hold space and who help me welcome members and talk to members um, because they're in different time zones. So we all look after the group, but there are also a lot of members that completely voluntarily do that. Some, some of them even without realizing by just sharing their story or holding space for others and making them feel and understand that they are never alone in this journey. And I think that's the most important part because we don't heal well in isolation. We really do need community to hold space for us. Yeah, I've seen it many times also when dealing with stress. Uh, generally, when people are stressed, they want to hide themselves, isolate themselves. And the healing and release of mm -hmm. the stress comes actually from completely opposite. The things that you don't, that doesn't feel... Yeah. Uh, doesn't make sense doesn't feel good not good or it's mm. kind of like feels going against resistance actually going and seeking out support or someone yeah. else yeah so i can see that uh, correlation there i also would like to yeah for you to expand more on the labels i really loved how you mentioned about uh, having those uh, 
high intense emotions uh, all of them at the same time and then having a choice of uh, mm. focusing on certain um, spectrum of them uh, without neglecting uh, necessarily mm. and mm. I'd love to also to expand uh, how the labeling emotions comes into the play when you're uh, trying to uh, aim that focus where you want to go. So how was your story about uh... Yeah. Well, one of the labels, and, and this is one of the most common myths in the world of grief, is that it comes in stages and, and these so-called five stages of grief of seven or whatever they kept adding to it. Um, that originated by Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She's like, you know, one of the world-renowned authors around the topic of grief. And that was never intended for the world of grief. That was actually the five stages of terminally ill people and not of grief. I don't know where it all got twisted up and, and got misinterpreted. And then all of a sudden people started talking about the five stages of grief. And it's, you know, they're, they're the perfect uh, example of labels for grief where people just don't have any words for what's actually happening. You know, it was like the, the shock, the denial, the bargaining, all of that. But when you think about it from a perspective of a terminally ill person, you know, there's the shock of the diagnosis. There is the bargaining with uh, not wanting your life to end. There is the denial that this can't possibly be happening. This is all related to terminally ill people. And I don't want to claim that I'm an expert in that field at all because I have never been terminally ill and I've never really dealt um, with people who are um, uh, on a professional basis. I have uh, dealt with friends who are or have been going through, uh, yeah, exactly that topic, you know, the term, being, being terminally ill and having to come to terms with it and, and how do you deal with that? Yet um, in the space of grief, it's just a complete misconception. It's just a complete trying to make sense of something that society just simply doesn't have words for. And I'm like, why do we need words for that? Why can't we just focus on, um, on healing, on creating that space that people need where they can feel held and understood and loved and nurtured and, and cared for? That's exactly what we need rather than going down a path of, of labels. You know, one of, one of those... Um, commonly overused phrases my condolences or I'm so sorry for your loss it's, it's not really I mean I'm so sorry for your loss I'm very ambivalent with that some people are like you know that's truly beautiful and you just want to express your emotions for me it has become something uh, that is in the exact same basket like um, my condolences when you hear it uh, hundreds of times it becomes nothing but empty words it's like Again, you know, it's very close to like we are using labels. You just try to find words for something where there are no words. But uh, my condolences is not helping for anyone, not helping anyone heal. And I understand that it comes from the intention of wanting to be polite and wanting to say something. Yet, why can't we find something that is actually helping that person, you know? which uh, for some people, they can be, I'm sorry for your loss, not, not for me, to be honest. I prefer phrases like, my heart goes out to you, or, you know, um, can I give you a hug, or wh whatever feels right in the moment, you know, something that really um, connects you with that person, but also allows them space to feel what they want to feel. Because when I say, and this, this comes back to 
deeply spiritual. Everybody's got such different backgrounds. Uh, it took me a long time to be able to just talk openly about this. And now it's a completely normal topic for me that I say, I my spiritual belief is that Rob and I had a soul contract and that was part of it. So when somebody come, comes to me and says, I'm sorry for your loss, I always say, why? It's not that it didn't hurt. It's not that, mm. but I question, it's like, why, why are you sorry for that? Are you implying that that wasn't meant to be? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's that... Yeah. Um, doing you to judge that it, this was good or bad for me but the common understanding is that when somebody dies in your life that's absolutely bad for you so i need to feel sorry for you but i don't want anybody to feel sorry for me because sympathy doesn't help me at all empathy yeah completely different story compassion absolutely bring it on we all need it but sympathy i, I don't want that i don't want sympathy for my situation it's not helping me i i hope that makes sense it's such a fine difference, but it's a very important one. Yeah, I really love how you expanded into the intention of uh, when I say something to the person, what's my intention? Is it sympathy, empathy, or uh, in your case, it's uh, yeah. healing. That's a really strong uh, intention. Mm. And quite often the standard phrases yeah. don't really mm. uh, give justice uh, to that. And I was thinking also because of the cultural differences. You said some people, different people have different beliefs. Uh, I really loved how you mm. uh, mentioned the Japanese example yeah. when they actually celebrate the loss. In mm. that case, kind of saying, I'm sorry for your loss uh, wouldn't yeah. make that much sense. And also really love how you mentioned yeah. those uh, simple things uh, like giving a hug or asking what do you need or... Mm. So do you have any more uh, yeah. examples? What would be like uh, good ways of expressing yourself or letting the person yeah. heal themselves? Yeah. I have a very beautiful one. <laughs> yeah, I have a really beautiful example of one of my friends and I've mentioned her very often. She was incredible because she just had this absolutely um, that fine tuning understanding of what I needed. I remember when I came back um, from Perth where we flew out to identify Rob's body. We were there for four days. And then we came home on a flight that Rob was supposed to come back on from his business trip, you know, which was really um, intensely emotional for me to come back on that flight where he should have been on. He should have come home to us, you know, and then again, should have according to who? Who am I to say what was meant to happen or not and bringing it back to the soul contract. But Joe, this friend of mine, she rang me when I was on my way back from the airport and she said, I just wanted to check in with you and see if you need somebody to be there for you and just sit with you. She said, I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to give you advice. I just wanted to be there for you and just sit with you. I just wanted to, you know, for me, I always call it holding space for someone. It's so beautiful. And I said, that's exactly what I need right now. Yes, please. And it was so, so hard for me to actually, um, to actually, I have to distract. I'm so sorry. Can you see the thumbs up in that? I can. Did you see the thumbs up in the... I do see it, yes. In the window? I was about yeah. to ask Did you. Did you press that? No. No. I didn't press it. This has been happening for the last three weeks, and I'm so glad that you see too. Really? Most of the time on the RC, then it comes up with a circle that loads, and then it disappears again. 
and only in one meeting and this is the second one now the thumbs up actually stayed and when I saw it I had to ask you if you see it because this to me is one of those signs that keeps happening all the time I know mm -hmm. that Rob's been so close to us since his dad passed mm -hmm. uh, and over the past four weeks I had so many signs I kid you not like 30 40 signs a day since Rob's dad has passed and it started three days before he passed and I'm so glad that you just literally experienced that with me because it's like it, it's been happening a couple of times since we talked but now I saw it actually staying and that's why I wanted to ask you wow so caught live on camera recorded I love it <laughs> anyway Joe came and she literally did that you know she came with her son and her and my son um in the same class that they go to school together and it was so beautiful that uh finn came along to sit with my boys flynn and jed and just to bring some lightness back in just to bring some normality back in and i remember we were sitting in front of the fireplace and we did end up talking but there was just so no pressure so no you have to talk about this or tell me this or how did that go she just sat and held space for me like a trooper and that's exactly what i needed it was so beautiful and that to me is something so valuable to offer that to somebody who's going through uh, through a loss, through grief, to see what do you need? Not what I want to give you, but what do you actually need, you know? And we often don't realise that we're doing that. And there's mostly no malintention whatsoever. It's just that people um, don't have enough experience with that. We are not taught how to actually deal with it. And, and that is my big mission in life. I want to heal the world from grief. I want to show people that there is a different way how we can approach that. And um, that's that was one very, very beautiful example. And another one from another friend who came the night before the funeral. Uh, Des is also a very, very close friend of mine. And she, she said, I really felt that it will be important that somebody's with you the night before the funeral because tomorrow you'll have hundreds of people there, you know, and, and there were over 500 people at the funeral. And and I, in my mind, it, this was really interesting. I felt like I so needed her to be there for me at the funeral. And I didn't know how to say because she already drove two hours just to see me the night before and hold space for me. And she did it so well. And then when she left, she hugged me and she said, unless you need me to be there tomorrow, please just say the word, please just say it and I'll be there. And I almost broke down in tears. I was like, yes, please, I do need you to be there for me tomorrow. I really want you to come. And I could not say it until she asked me. And so often we make the most common mistake to say to people, let me know if you need anything, anything. Yet when you are on the other side, you find it almost impossible to be able to reach out so people need to make it super simple do you need me to be there for you tomorrow yes <laughs> i do i could not say it but when she asked me directly i was like oh my god i'm so grateful that you asked me that and interestingly enough out of all the 500 plus people that were at the funeral she was the one who then sat behind me because i needed her to be there for me i just needed her to hold space for me and i remember seeing her like 10 rows up and I looked back and the, the seats behind us were empty and I felt I needed somebody there who really knew me really closely. And the family was all spread out. The family was left and right and everywhere behind, but nobody dared to take that role behind us. I don't know why it was this respectful, ooh, you know, who's supposed to sit there? And I just said, let me sit here. And she came down and I was it's just that 
feeling that she was behind me. She had my back, literally. I, yeah, it was incredible. So I feel it's the being really fine-tuned. What could she need? What could that person need? Not what I think they need or what I think I want to give them. It's just feel into it. What do people need? And uh, and ask very simple questions. Give, give them super simple choices and not call me if you need anything because I can promise you nobody's going to reach out and call you. It's really, really challenging to do that when you're in that emotion. You need people to reach out and be very respectful and very direct with the yes or no chicken or fish sort of you know what i mean yeah yeah i really love how you touched upon subject uh, that uh, people under the grief have problems reaching out but also people that want to help them that quite often they have in puzzled uh, what to actually do and me working with overthinkers i know that uh, mm. uh, people quite often mm. think i need to do something i need to fix something and I really loved how you mentioned the example mm -hmm. that uh, there's nothing to fix, just be, show up and hold yeah. the space. And yeah. is there, And also I really loved how you mentioned those uh, tips for the people who want to help people in the grief that give simple, uh, direct uh, ways, to yeah. unintrusive uh, ways to help mm -hmm. people. Like, uh, do you need me to call you? Do you want mm -hmm. me to be there, just there? Mm -hmm. And those no pressure ways. Do you have any more yeah. tips for people um, that have someone in their life uh, that's uh, suffering from grief, how to help, how to hold mm. their space? Yeah. I think it is often the very simple things that people need help with and the practical things, you know. And mm. again, it, it's not like, call me if you need anything, let me know if you want anything when I go shopping. It doesn't work like that, you know. Mm. It, it could be as simple as, hey, this week I'm going shopping on Tuesday and Thursday, which which day would work easier for you. So you almost assume already that they choose one and they can still say, no, I'm fine. It's good. Thank you. But when you actually really offer it in a way that makes it easy for them to just say, actually, yeah, Tuesday would be great. Or uh, a lot of people cook for us. A friend of mine had organized a roster mm. for us for the first five weeks. I didn't have to cook once, which was incredible. Mm. It was so helpful for me. And um it was actually that people would say, look, I'm on a roster tomorrow and uh, I'm thinking, I I'm not sure, do you prefer salad or lasagna, you know? And it it's really funny when you think about it, lasagna or salad, because there are moments where you are so deep in emotion that uh, heavy food is absolutely a no-go. You can't, mm -hmm. you, you really need something light. You need like something like a salad or chicken salad or whatever. I'm just putting examples yeah. out there. And other times you might feel so empty that you really mm -hmm. need grounding food like lasagna, like potatoes, like something that really grounds you. And for people to give you these options so you don't have to think about that. You don't have to, oh my God, I, I have no idea what I want. You know, my, my husband just died. I can't think about what I want to eat, what I want to cook. This was, uh, just got another thumbs up. <laughs> I love it when it just pops up. Um, and to, to get these choices that makes it simpler for you is just really super helpful. Uh, and for those who are really, um, like for me, a very first step that I often take with people that come to me and they're like, I don't even know where to start, Marie. They're completely overcome by grief. They're completely overcome by deep emotion. They don't know how to even get out of it. I kind of like this process of, um, as a very first step to say, to, to try to separate the 
who you have lost from what you have lost. Mm. And I'm saying that because so often people feel like with that person, I have lost all of that, my mm. security, my, it can be just a financial provider. It can be somebody who protects you. It can be whatever that is for you. Everybody's got different connections and different things that they contribute in a relationship and uh, that goes for any relationship whether that be son daughter whether, whether that be husband it doesn't matter but everybody's got something um it does matter it doesn't make a difference but everybody's got something they contribute in that relationship so I really needed to go through this process and think what I have lost with Rob's passing and for me it was things like I always felt safe when Rob was around. You know, he was really my knight in shining armor. I felt so protected. I, I never questioned my safety when I was with him. And then all of a sudden I had to re-face that being scared in the dark or uh, being scared when I'm alone. I, I that, that, Those were childhood fears that had completely disappeared when I was with Rob. But without him, I had to re-face them. I had to find ways to not only feel protected but also for my boys to feel protected because you know their dad had passed and he was the complete help for them you know those supermen and uh, you know with that around nothing could ever happen to us and then all of a sudden he wasn't there and I felt a strong need to provide that for, for all three of us and it was little things like making sure that the front and the back door was locked before we went to bed and I, I pushed my bed into the corner after Rob died. And he always said, oh, you can't have the bed in the corner because it's really unhandy to make the bed. I'm like, well, tough life, you're gone and I need to feel safe. So I pushed the bed in the corner because I felt I could cradle up there. And it was just, you know, little things like that that are really important. And when you think about what it is that you have lost and don't tie it to that person, it is not about replacing them, but it is about what out of that whole list can I actually recreate in a different way where can I take in responsibilities and it's impossible to fill that entire list but there are ways that you can do things for yourself that uh, somebody else did before so it really is in that realm of becoming creative around that and um, and helping people along those lines how can they you have to be very very fine-tuned around that because otherwise it can easily come across as well, do you want to replace my husband? You know, it's impossible. So you have to be very skilled in that and very fine-tuned in suggesting that. But yeah, anything you can do to help people just focus on something positive. And again, it, it takes fine-tuning. It takes a fine-tuned approach and a skilled approach to be able to deal with that. Uh, but I get this question on a weekly basis, you know, my sister, my such-and-such such, my has lost this and that person. And I constantly get asked, you know, what do I do? How do I help them best? And I usually say, invite them into the group. And I'm not saying that to promote the group, but I'm saying that because, well, I, I am promoting the group because it is a safe space to, to be, you know. I said, uh, and people always think, is it too early? You know, it's so fresh. I have people, like I even had a person come in uh, that hadn't even lost her husband, but she had this anticipatory grief and she knew that he would pass he was terminally ill and she said I wanted and I needed to join your group because I felt I needed to prepare myself how do I deal with that and that was beautiful and I often have people come in a week a couple of days after a month after 
And they always said, I just, I'm so grateful that I found you so early. People often wait for way too long because they feel, oh, it's disrespectful to address it. Well, if it's disrespectful or not, they're dealing with it. They're dealing with it on a daily basis. So the earlier you can help them, the better it is. And I always say, you can always suggest whenever they feel ready. I think this is a really beautiful space to check out. And then it's up to them still. They still have the choice whether they want to join or not. You can't force them into a group and I don't want to, you know. It's the... Suggest that there is help out there. Suggest that there is a safe space where you can literally sit on the sidelines and just observe. And that's what a lot of people do when they first come in. Nobody's forced to participate ever, you know. So often it's just being in the right space that you already feel that feels better, you know. I was curious, can you tell more about the group? Is it fully online? And if the people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah. Uh, the group is online, yes. Uh, there are actually two different groups. One is the Loving Life After Loss, which is mm-hmm. uh, a free Facebook group. And, uh, you know, there's uh, thousands of people in there already. And it's really just that um, that what you get there, the holding space. There's somebody being there where you can share your story. And, uh, uh, you know, there's daily motivations in there. And I, I run my upspiral grief interviews in there. I do weekly talks about different topics that I always pick from the group so I always get my inspiration from what people actually need in the group and then I I do a weekly talk about that we we also have a dedicated day for fun which is fun Friday so I really like that because I feel it keeps the group light and uh and I want that to be in the grief space as well. It doesn't have to be just about sadness. It can be about lightness and fun as well. And we all need that. You need that more than anything when you are grieving. So that is one group that you can join. And then there is, uh, there's also the membership, the Happy Healing membership, where we do coordinate group coaching calls and uh, keep that very affordable on purpose i just want people to be able to have that support that additional support because some people are quite happy to just be in the loving life after loss group and uh, you know sit and observe and others really want to actually talk and connect with others that are going through the same journey so there's a space for both of that and uh, i love that i i called my my big group after my first book, Loving Love After Loss, and the second book I wrote was Happy Healing. So I called my membership after the second book and um, that's where where we actually connect in person on a fortnightly basis for a group coaching call. Hmm. Uh, I kind of feel like uh, rounding this uh, interview up and I have one, uh, two more questions. One of them is you don't have to answer if you don't have an answer yet or you just feel like calling to yourself. <laughs> Uh, I'm curious about the thumbs up uh, that happened. You said you have lots of uh, signs coming to you. Do you have any idea what do they mean and what's uh, what's the purpose behind them or what's the message? Mm. I'm I'm very happy to answer that. As I said, it it uh, started uh, three days before Rob's dad passed, and I was uh, in my living room and I was sitting on the recliner and. I was on my own in in the room and the boys were downstairs in their rooms and all of a sudden all the lights went bright a really warm bright light and I was like whoa okay and my first thought was that Rob's dad had passed I really thought okay that that was a sign somehow and um yet he hadn't it happened three days later but it was Mm. to me I saw it as a okay attention some something's about to happen you know like uh, that was really like uh sort of 
I don't know, that's how I saw it. It was a clear sign for me that came from Rob, that he was there, that he was present, that he was waiting. That's how I interpreted it. And the next day I was in the exact same chair in the exact same position again. It seems like I'm spending all my days on the recliner <laughs> at night, but that's where I love to relax at night. So, yeah. um, and I, I was sitting there barefoot. And again, the boys were downstairs and I literally felt like that somebody was going down with a finger on my foot. I was barefoot and I felt that on, and I instantly thought that was my cat. Cause you know, I just thought she walked past and her tail must have uh, gone past my, got a thumbs up again it's incredible <laughs> like, yeah I know it was you I'm just telling the story bear with me <laughs> so, and I instantly thought oh you know and I, I bent down to look at Chica my cat but she was asleep like three meters away from me I'm like okay that was awkward because I clearly felt it you know I'm like and I remember I was sitting there in in the chair and I, I actually said it out loud I said babe I know this is you. I know you're present. I can feel you around. But can you please, whatever you do, just don't freak me out, okay? Just don't scare me. That's that's all I'm asking. <laughs> I see you. I hear you. And I said that because um, I, um, Rob's, uh, I don't know how to call it. It's, it's complicated um, relationships here. But it's uh, my previous sister-in-law uh, mm -hmm. said that she had a dream about Rob and that he said, He's been trying to reach out to all of us and nobody's listening. We're not seeing his signs. And that's why I said, I can see your signs. I can feel them. Okay. You know, it's, it's very clear now. So just don't freak me out. And then all of a sudden that, that thing started happening with the thumbs up, you know, it was literally, uh, I believe the week after, or was it the day before? I can't remember now. It, it was literally within a couple of days of Otavia's passing, um, that I was in a Zoom meeting with a vision group that I call up, uh, catch up with once a month. And all of a sudden I can see the thumbs up and it always had that circle, you know, when something's loading, but it never came up fully. Mm -hmm. And I, I could see it and I could see it and I kid you not, it was like 30 times that it kept up in one, in one hour, it kept coming up and I was like, this is awkward. And then, and then all of a sudden, just like with you and I now, it stayed. And I'm like, now I can see it's actually on screen. And I'm like, and I'm sitting there talking and they were like, how did you do that? And I'm like, what, did you see the thumbs up? And they're like, yes, but I can see your hands. So how did that, how did you do that? And I said, I kid you not, I've been seeing that like 30 times, but now it's stayed and I'm so glad you see it too. Cause I thought, you know, people must think I'm completely crazy when I say that, but it kept happening ever since, even like in the, in the healing sessions that I run, you know, the group coaching calls that I talked talk about in a happy healing class, it happened there as well. And I got completely sidetracked, but I see like whenever I talk about something, it's almost like a, yeah, that's exactly what I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm with you. You know, it's like a, like a proof that it's like, yeah, I, I fully support your story. So, mm. <laughs> yes, exactly that. You know, it just happened again. I support your story. Yes. And I'm like, I get the signs. I see them and it just, it is just really beautiful. I had like dragonflies fly into my house and, and like sitting on my hand, I, I've become like the dragonfly whisperer. Like I went into a local shop once and the lady said, oh, I've had this dragonfly in here for over an hour and it can't get out. And I said, just bear with me. I put my shopping down. I walked up, the dragonfly just jumped onto my hand and I walked out and he just sat. And I was like, this is really incredible. You know, it's just something I really believe in signs. I believe in all these things with butterflies and dragonflies and feathers that you find. And when you start looking out for them, they become so apparent. And I know there are a lot of non-believers out there who said, oh, you just want to see that. And um, 
Well, so be it. If that's your belief, go with it. If it suits you, go with it. It doesn't suit me. I love to believe. I love to feel and know that Rob's still around us mm. and that this is just his way of showing me that he he's there and he sees us and he's supporting uh, whatever message it is that I'm talking about. When he gives you the thumbs up, I'm like, oh, thanks, babe. You know, I, I, I think it's quirky and cute and nice and I love it and uh, it makes me happy. So, yeah. Mm. Awesome. Do you have any other projects coming up uh, that people can kind of keep in tune with you? Uh, well, we've got our retreat coming up, yet mm -hmm. I have to say it's already sold out, so I can't really, um, but, but I do run these retreats once or twice a year, depending mm -hmm. on demand. And for those who really are interested in getting really right into it and looking at their own grieving story. I really love, love, love running VIP days. This is uh, mm. something fairly new that I only just started and it's taken off really well because people really love that. With the VIP days, I spend an entire day just with one client and I can do that online or in person. And uh, we spend really just getting into the story. I literally pick them up from where they're at. I take them through the whole grieving process of mm. the, from grief to relief, the, the steps to get through it. And I also use a really, really beautiful tool. I'm not sure if you know it or not. It's called Family Constellation. It's very mm. well known in Europe. It's not very well known here in Australia yet. Um, but it's incredibly beautiful and a very powerful tool to look at uh, your family dynamic what happens mm. to your family before and after you know what what was your family like with your loved one in it and what uh, happens to the family dynamic afterwards and to look at that from an outside perspective is so powerful for the person I do this with and I've trained in this modality uh, actually before Rob died and uh, now using it in the field of healing grief is incredible i never thought that this would be the angle i would be using this tool mm. but i absolutely love it so it's very very powerful yeah that's awesome and um for people who want to reach out to you what's the best way to contact you any social media you're mm. on or any means of communication you prefer what would yeah. be the best way to find well you? i think the easiest way uh is for people to just go onto my website, which is my first name, last name.com. So it's mariealessi.com. Mm -hmm. And from there, they have really all the options. They can learn more about me. They can learn more about the healing journeys and retreats I offer. There are a lot of podcasts. So if you are happy, I'd be sharing ours there as well. There is um, different media pieces that I've been in and uh, also the contact page. You know, you can just literally reach out to me book a chat with me and I'm more than happy to just see where you're at and what would help you best. I'm not a big believer in just um, selling programs or retreats for the sake of it. The person has to be ready. The person has to be in the right space. And I would not want to take anybody on a retreat or even a VIP day uh, if they're not ready for it. I, I just recently had an inquiry about the retreat there. I said, let's just start with the one hour or with a, with a short session just to get to know each other. Because if, if the person's not ready, uh, then money and time is wasted and I don't want to waste my time or my client's money if I feel they are not ready for that. So it has to be the right fit and uh, I'm a very big believer in, in keeping things ethical and, and really mm. trusting your heart on that whenever people are ready. So yeah, just check in on my website, connect with me and, and you'll find the link to the group as well and, and follow on social media and um, Instagram, whatever whatever your jam is, you'll, you'll mm. find everything on the website. 
And a final question I like to ask is, do you have anyone you'd like me to recommend uh, to invite as a next guest on my podcast uh, that would uh, contribute mm-hmm. greatly towards uh, understanding what yes. your stress? Absolutely. Yes. I have just the perfect person for you. And I'm going to fully put him on the spot, my beautiful friend, Paolo. I call him Paolo. His name is actually Paul. And he works in exactly that field. So he does breath work, meditation and things like that. He's in t- extremely intuitive and his, mm. his, his work is very powerful. And uh, I would love to connect you with him. So, yeah, I'll definitely awesome. reach out to him and, sh- and, yeah, introduce you to each other. Awesome. So thank you so much. Uh, it was my pleasure. I found so many insights and so many valuable things for people wanting to love mm-hmm. their stress specifically when it's related to grief and yeah yeah Thomas, thank you present. so much for having me I, I really appreciate it and um thank you for holding space you, you're incredible in holding space for people so i really appreciate that thank you okay thank you